From the Preservation Maryland studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. On this week's PreserveCast, we're taking a departure from our normal programming to bring you a tale of old. A tale told here in the foothills, scarps, and hillocks of the Appalachians. In these blue hills of Maryland, as the chill of autumn arrives and as we approach All Hallows' Eve, we're talking wizards, spells, and sorcery. In winter's tedious nights, sit by the fire with good old folks and let them tell thee tales of woeful ages long ago. William Shakespeare Normally on PreserveCast, we interview an expert in their given field, but this week, we're telling our own tales and uncovering the story of Michael Ziddle, the wizard of South Mountain. Hey, this is Nick Redding, the host of PreserveCast, and before today's episode, I want to ask you to consider making a quick donation to support the program. PreserveCast is powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization, and during difficult times like these, every dollar helps. Your support keeps us on the air, making the case for the value relevance, and importance of history in our lives, and we all greatly appreciate it. To make a donation, you can visit PreserveCast.org and hit the Donate button in the upper right-hand corner of the page. Thanks for all your help, and keep on preserving. Now, let's get back to the episode. When it comes to wizards, you might be familiar with Merlin, Harry Potter, or perhaps even the Washington basketball team. But today's wizard is a man named Michael Ziddle, who was born in Maryland in 1798, likely in a cabin somewhere along the spine of South Mountain. South Mountain is a part of the long line of mountain chain which stretches from southern Pennsylvania all the way to southwestern Virginia and beyond. Collectively, these mountains form many pleasant valleys, including the great Shenandoah Valley of Virginia which in the 18th and 19th century was a highway for Scots-Irish and German immigrants departing Pennsylvania and heading south. Today, with Route 11 and Interstate 81, it remains a major north-south thoroughfare. Along this early, internal immigration route, some travelers stopped along the way and made their home in the foothills and rough hillsides where cheap land was plentiful. It was here that the Ziddles concluded their passage and built into the steep hillsides where Michael Ziddle was born in 1798. Today, the area where Michael was born is fittingly known as Ziddlestown, just a few miles up the road from Boonesboro, which itself was formally established in 1792 by George and William Boone, cousins to the more famous Daniel Boone. In 1798, this entire region was becoming much more settled and far less wild than it was just 30 or 40 years before. Yet the misty mountains, which served as a backdrop to this agricultural oasis, were still shrouded in mystery and legend. Much of what we know of Michael Ziddle and the lore of South Mountain comes from Madeline Vinton Dahlgren, a 19th century author, tavern keeper, anti-suffragist, and owner of the still operational South Mountain Inn. In 1882, Dahlgren published South Mountain Magic, Tales of Old Maryland. It was in this volume that Dahlgren devoted numerous pages to the haunts, witches, and wizards of these mountains. Dahlgren's chronicles have formed some of the best written accounts of the early folklore of the area, much of which would have been lost due to the dying tradition of oral storytelling. Among the many unique stories she documented, 
Some of the most famous include the Great Black Dog, a beast resembling a huge dog with large paws and an ugly red mouth known to terrify travelers, as well as the Will-o'-the-Wisp, sometimes known as Jack with a Lantern, a ghostly illumination known to arise in the hills and valleys of this mountain range. Much of the book is dedicated to describing these haunts and legends, and after recounting these stories, Dahlgren goes on to describe the unique witchcraft and sorcery known to these hills, from the bush meetings of a sect of secret Luciferian worshippers to wizardry and superstitious spells. According to Dahlgren, many of the people who inhabited these hills believed in cures, hexes, and superstition as a way of solving some of life's most perplexing challenges and diseases. One spell documented in the book involved curing the gobacks, the name local settlers gave to children who failed to grow at a rate considered normal. Dahlgren explained the local cure for the gobacks in great detail. This very retrogressive name is given to a sort of atrophy, which often attacks children crowded in these huts and produces a state of inanition or wasting away. For this sickness, the following is considered a famous remedy and is a real secret, which makes it all the more delightful to tell. To cure the gobacks, take two strings. With one string, measure the patient from the crown across the tip to the tip of the toes, while the other string must be used in this way. Extend the arms in the form of a cross and measure from tips of fingers. The second measurement has a double purpose and is used as a diagnostic of the disease, namely, if the patient measures more crosswise than lengthwise, it is for certain the abonemon. This is the secret name for gobacks. After the measurement, grease the patient three times, well down the breastbone and on the ribs, using the two thumbs for this manipulation. And while you grease, keep saying these words three times in the three highest names. Habanemem depart. This done, take the door of the room off its hinges and twist one of the two strings each on a hinge. Then rehang the door, and when the action of the door shall wear these strings by the ordinary course of opening and shutting, the child will be cured. In addition to documenting local faith healing and superstitions, Dahlgren purportedly once gazed upon the legendary Black Spell Book owned by Michael Ziddle Jr who she referred to as the high priest of all this evil practice. Dahlgren explained, he was resorted to by hundreds of people from all across the country round about South Mountain, and even from a distance, many of whom went away in the belief that they had been cured, and they may have been so. Of his black book of spells, Dahlgren continued, we have seen the original conjuring book of old Ziddle. It is in German, and we have made a rude translation of portions of its syllabine leaves. Quite enough of it, we trust, to satisfy the curiosity of our learned readers, and more than enough to satisfy ourselves as to its true nature. The spells which Dahlgren reviewed dealt with many afflictions, from thievery to fevers to stopping bleeding. Dahlgren explained that the first four conjurings or spells in Ziddle's book all dealt with the return of stolen or lost property. The first few of Ziddle's spells, which Dahlgren recorded, were as follows. How one may compel a thief or thieves to restore stolen property. Say this. 
Oh, thief, down, what hast thou stolen, and go away, in Satan's name, in whose name thou hast taken my property? How to proceed when a thief or thieves have stolen a horse? Take the pitchfork and stick where the horse stood. Call the horse by name and say, I trample thee, I stick thee, I bite thee. Thou shalt come back, and thou shalt turn the thief's hand quickly, even as the wind or the fish that swim in the water, or the birds that fly in the woods, or else thou shalt lie low under the sod. Come quick and be swift. Ziddle, according to local historians, did not charge for these services or spells, but his demand for his work eventually became overwhelming. He decided to publish a book of spells as a way to cash in on his abilities. Boonesborough printer Josiah Nodal published the book in 1845 under the title A Friend in Need or Secret Science. The book opened with a passage from Psalm 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Unfortunately, according to local legend, after publication of the book, Ziddle lost his powers as a result of trying to commoditize his supernatural ability. Impoverished by his poor choice, Ziddle then attempted to charge for his services. Dahlgren explained that, being old and very poor, Ziddle was persuaded to ask a fee, and when he did so, he had bad luck. The 1870 census listed the wizard's age as 71, his occupation as day laborer, and his property value below that of any of his neighbors. It is said that he expired in great agony of soul. In the 1950s, another author, George Wetzel, reviewed the story of Ziddle and cast him in a new light, suggesting that Dahlgren, herself a staunch Roman Catholic, had been too harsh on Ziddle for his unusual ways and seemingly pagan practices. Ziddle, in the words of George Wetzel, was actually a sort of faith healer, and if his magic book helped in his cures, it was a species of white magic, not black. Mrs. Dahlgren, therefore, has mistakenly characterized a good and kindly man as an unholy dabbler and a humbug. Boonesboro legend and local historian Doug Bass explained this type of zittlish healing and conjuring continued for many generations, well into the 20th century, when Bass's own father was said to be suffering from the go-backs. The healing was performed, and whether by nature or consequence, Bass's father eventually thrived. Incredibly, in 1975, one of Ziddle's published spellbooks was found in a local home by Miss Pauline Routson, who lived just below the South Mountain Inn once owned by Madeline Vinton Dahlgren. In a newspaper article chronicling the find, Miss Routson, who found the book, explained that some people on the mountain today use formulas and cures prescribed by Ziddle. When, for example, stove fires are hard to light, Frustrated housewives are apt to say, Someone has my stove bewitched, believing that spells are still cast. Special mountain folk are called upon to blow fire from painful burns, while still others carry in their pockets arrangements of letters or quotations that are mixtures of black magic and holy scripture, and which invariably invoke the Holy Trinity. Then, some years later, the original spell book was also found. Today, both books can be viewed at the Boonesboro Museum of History, a passion project of historian Doug Bass that is now in the planning phases of becoming a professionally curated and administered museum. And not far from that museum, in a quiet cluster of Ziddle family tombstones, 
the Wizard of South Mountain lies buried under a simple headstone. No mention of wizardry or spells adorns his grave, but his legend and sorcery lives on in the hearts and minds of all who venture a visit to South Mountain. Today, thanks to the work of preservationists, many of the landscapes, towns, and places associated with today's story have been preserved for future generations. South Mountain itself is a major preservation victory, with tens of thousands of acres protected for nature and history. A state park protects large swaths of the landscape, which eventually became the site of a major Civil War battle in 1862. And the Appalachian Trail, a unit of the National Park Service, runs along the spine of the mountain. It's nearly midpoint in the trail's main to Georgia length. Many homes have been lovingly restored, and the towns like Boonesboro are listed on the National Register of Historic Places for their long connection to the early history of the state and the National Road, which cuts through the center of town, making it a major stop along America's first federally funded road. And today, Preservation Maryland, which powers PreserveCast, is working to help increase tourism and visitation to South Mountain. The organization recently concluded a first-of-its-kind study which laid the groundwork for an in-progress rebranding and signage planning project, all aimed at increasing awareness and building support for the preservation of this very special place. As Madeline Vinton Dahlgren began her book with an introduction to thoughts on the occult, so will we conclude this special spellbinding episode of PreserveCast. Dahlgren offered that everyone no matter how prejudiced or realistic, must admit that the occult has in all ages attracted the attention of investigating minds so that it cannot be considered as any evidence of weak judgment or want of logical perception to admit surprising facts, the causes of which cannot be perceived. Rather, indeed, it is the exception when we can clearly trace cause and effect in the arcana of nature. On behalf of everyone at PreserveCast, I wish you a happy and hallowed Halloween. Good night. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's show, notes, and all previous episodes, visit PreserveCast.org. You can also find us online at Facebook and Twitter at PreserveCast. This program was supported by the Historic Preservation Education Foundation. PreserveCast is produced by Preservation Maryland in Baltimore City. Thanks again for your support, and remember to keep preserving. Well, you found it, our first preserve cast Easter egg, or perhaps in this case, a Halloween treat. And since you stayed with us, you'll get a special treat. A retelling of Mary Vinton Dahlgren's account of one Halloween night on South Mountain. It was Halloween, crisp and clear cold. And towards midnight, the moon that in the early evening had struggled to free herself from obscuring clouds shone forth unclouded. The household were all abed and asleep, with the exception of two members who, each in their separate rooms, were reading. One of these rooms opened by a casement window onto a covered veranda, which overlooked the view eastward. 
at some distance from the house in that direction, and half hidden by the sloping ground, is a fine stone barn, whose vermilion red roof, as seen through vistas of trees, gives warmth and contrast of coloring to the landscape. The attention of the occupant of this room was arrested by what seemed to be a strong sulfurous odor. The idea at once occurred that some malicious tramp had set fire to the barn. When stepping quickly out upon the porch, this apprehension was increased almost to a certainty by observing something like thin wreaths of curling smoke in that direction, while the peculiar odor was still more perceptible in the open air. Fearing that there might be indeed a stifled fire, and no time to be lost, the alarm was very quietly given to the other person who was still up. No one else was disturbed, but the two then proceeded to the observatory in the top of the house, from whence the appearance of smoke was directly visible, as well as the sulfur smell which was unmistakable. Now really alarmed and feeling sure that some nefarious attempt was in progress of execution, a trusted worker was aroused and sent with a loaded revolver to investigate matters. After some twenty minutes of time, during all of which the same condition of things continued, the man came back grumbling. He said he had looked everywhere, explored the grounds, gone beyond the barn which he had examined, proceeded as far as the gardener's house, and all was still and safe. So off to bed he pattered, muttering something about being wakened up for nothing at all. Surprised and more puzzled than ever, the two watchers returned to the veranda. The moon now threw out brilliant streams of light, and every object was diaphanous in her opaline atmosphere. At this precise time, midnight held the even balance of the hours, and a never-to-be-forgotten scene developed itself. The circlets of smoke took on a vaporous glamour, but yet defined as if opaque. Some moments later, numerous shrouded wraiths marshaled in midair on the brow of the declivity. Presently, they ranked in approaching columns with a swaying movement. A flash of intelligent apprehension seized both onlookers, for now there was no mistaking the illusion of phantom hosts forming for conflict. As suddenly the supposing embattled phalanx swayed with a forward movement towards the house, both exclaimed as if inspired by one breath, the battle smell! Too affrighted to pause another moment, they rushed back into the room and closed out all vision of what had become too appalling to gaze upon. This is no fancy sketch, but a description, as exact as words can make it, of what actually transpired. Both of the spectators of this wonderful phantasm possessing cultivation above the average measure of intelligent powers of discrimination. Afterwards, thought and speculation only made the wonder grow for these strange facts presented themselves. It was curiously enough, All Halloween, the very night above all others, given over by common superstition to spectral apparitions. Yet this fact had played no part in kindling the imagination, because it was only remembered in discussing the strange event afterwards. Moreover, the wonderful culmination actually did take place exactly at midnight. Then, most astonishing of all, two senses were affected, sight and smell, for added to distinct vision was the pervading odor, that sulfurous battle smoke that had first perplexed and aroused the attention. And then came the still more curious fact, that the man who went through the grounds on a tour of investigation failed to notice anything at all. Was it the finer sense, the keener perception, 
or the more hallucinated imagination of the two that enabled them to witness a spectacle hidden from a third person. We may have a theory, but we refrain from attempt to do more than to give this narrative as clearly as possible. Mary Vinton Dahlgren, South Mountain Magic, 1926-1930.